The largest Protestant denomination in the country, the Southern Baptist Convention, is facing major controversy. There are allegations of backdoor meetings, heavy-handed power plays, misogyny, and silencing critics of President Donald Trump. And all this comes on the heels of a major sex abuse scandal. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and today's podcast is brought to you in part by Judson University, a university shaping lives that shape the world, and Marquardt of Barrington. If you want to buy a car from a dealership known for honesty, integrity, and transparency, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt. To find them online, just go to Marquardt Buick, spelled M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T dot com. Well, today we're going to be discussing what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, often referred to as the SBC. And joining me today is an SBC insider, Wade Burleson. Wade has been a pastor in the SBC for 28 years. He also served two terms as a president of the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. He served as a trustee for the SBC's International Mission Board. And he's a popular blogger whose website has over 6 million page views. And this week, Wade posted an open letter to the Southern Baptist Convention, expressing that he's deeply troubled by what he sees in his own denomination. What's most recently concerned Wade are two things. One is that the SBC Executive Committee, allegedly in a closed-door session, created a task force to review and assess the actions of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, known as the ERLC. Now, if you don't know of the ERLC, it's a very influential SBC-funded organization headed by Russell Moore, a prominent critic of President Donald Trump. So many are viewing the creation of this task force as simply a move to silence those within the SBC who don't support Donald Trump. Also, in an alleged secret session, the SBC executive committee voted to disallow space at a convention center for the upcoming SBC Pastors Conference. That is, if the conference does not make changes to its program. Now, at issue there is having a woman, Hosanna Wong, a spoken word artist, perform at the Pastors Conference. The accepted doctrine of the Southern Baptist Convention does not allow women to be pastors. And there's a huge controversy. You may have heard about this. Uh, I've talked about it on my radio program, now the podcast. Um, But there was this huge controversy within the SBC when popular women's Bible teacher Beth Moore preached a Mother's Day sermon at an SBC church. Now, Wong would not be preaching at this pastor's conference, but performing poetry. However, Wong is a teaching pastor at her church, which directly contradicts SBC doctrine. Yet Wade says the president of the pastor's conference, Pastor David Uth, uh, should be allowed to invite whomever he wants to the pastor's conference. He adds that the way that the executive committee is operating is way out of bounds. Wade writes, this past Tuesday, Mike Stone, chairman of the executive committee of the SBC, violated the executive committee's tradition of transparency and moved the executive meeting behind closed doors where secret sessions soar as silent and supreme sanctuaries for saints in sin. The executive committee came out of the darkness where democracy dies and declared that no woman will speak at the pastor's conference. Goodbye, David Uth, the president of the Pastors Conference. He will voluntarily no longer serve as president of the Pastors Conference. Now, there's been a recent development since that blog posted. We'll tell you all about that. But I want to have Wade come join me. So, Wade, welcome. It's such a privilege to have you join me. 
Well, thank you, Julie. It's great to, to be on your podcast. Uh, you're one of uh, my heroes in the kingdom of Christ. Oh, well, back at you. You've been doing this blogging and exposing things within the church, and I think bringing a lot of light uh, to the church for a long time. So it's my privilege to speak with you. So I appreciate you coming on the program. Uh, you you posted a, an open letter with some really strong words. Um, why did you feel that was an important thing to do? Uh, when I heard you recount of what is going on in the SBC, to be candid with you, I thought to myself, if I'm listening to this, and I'm not a Southern Baptist, I'm probably uh, already lost because it's it's so complicated, it's it's so difficult to follow, <laughs> and I would propose, uh, Julie, genuinely, the average Southern Baptist layperson has absolutely no clue uh, uh, about anything that that you just said, hmm. and if we've got 13 million men and women across the United States who identify as a follower of Jesus and a member of a Southern Baptist Church, uh, you are in the top 1% of knowledge. Everybody else has no clue. But you asked me the question, why? Yeah. Why did I post that article? Well, I think it's a bigger issue than my convention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a bigger issue than Southern Baptist. I think right now the kingdom of Jesus Christ is facing a critical issue over the abuse of power, yes. authority in what is called, quote, the office of the pastor, end quote, mm. something that is never found in Scripture. The term office is never used in the original Greek at all. Mm. Uh, and I think what's happened is there is an underlying venom that I think is sapping life out of the Christian church, and that venom is this false doctrine that a male has inherent authority over females, and that a pastor has inherent spiritual authority over people. And why I'm writing is to let Christians know what I believe to be the true biblical doctrine, that Jesus Christ is the head of his church, and he gives his people, whether men or women, as he sees fit. And there is no such thing as a render-by-gender spiritual gift, meaning if a woman has the gift of teaching, she should teach. If a man has the gift of teaching, he should teach. And the idea that pastors can only be male, that teachers can only be male, and that no woman can speak in mixed company, it's infected the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'm doing everything in my power to root it out. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you broadening this out to the larger issues, because that, that is why we're having this discussion. I know there's a lot of people listening who are like, well, I'm not Southern Baptist, so why should I care? Right. Um, I do think you should care, because Southern Baptist Convention is a huge denomination. How many million did you say, Wade? Well, uh, of course, that's open for debate any time you're in a denominational position right. at the headquarters. I mean, you'll inflate the numbers maybe intentionally or unintentionally. I'm not going to go to motive. Uh, but I think it's closer to about 12 million. Uh, but they'll say anywhere between 13 to 16 million. It depends on who you talk to. So that is, it is the largest Protestant evangelical denomination 
in the United States. Roman Catholics have more, mm-hmm. but Southern Baptist is the largest. Yeah, and it's a very influential denomination. And we know, I mean, even as we're talking about Donald Trump, for example, there are major Southern Baptist pastors who have been uh, connected with Donald Trump or on his evangelical advisory uh, board. So there, there is, I think, an important reason for us to care about what happens in the Southern Baptist Convention. But you're right, these larger issues of what women, uh, the whole women's issue and what women can do and can't do. Um, and of course, this is on the heels of a sex abuse scandal, which was mainly, not exclusively, but mainly involving women. Um, so mm-hmm. y- you do have that issue. And now we have the abuse of power, which is something that I've been reporting on for an awful lot of time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, was this an abuse of power? Was it not an abuse of power? So I am, I'm interested in the specific issues within the Southern Baptist Convention. But again, as a larger, almost a microcosm of, of this larger issue of, of what's going on within the entire church. So let's, let's start with, um, with Hosanna Wong, again, a spoken word artist who's also a pastor at her church. Are you saying, Wade, um, that you are not in agreement with the SBC doctrine as far as allowing or only allowing men to be pastors? Or are you just talking preaching and teaching? It's a a great question. Um, you, You have to, first of all, define pastor. I believe the Bible defines pastor as a verb of service not a noun of status. It means shepherding or bishoping. We don't use that word in English very often, but a pastor is one who just shepherds, who leads, who directs, who guides, who protects other people. And, you know, there used to be a sign that that churches had when you left the parking lot that said, uh, you know, now go and minister, for every member is a minister. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's true. That's what the Bible says. Everyone is gifted as the body of Christ to serve Christ. So your specific question is this. Hosanna Wong identifies as a teaching pastor at her church in San Diego. And you said, Wade, do you disagree with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, uh, which is the confession of faith, which says no woman shall hold the office of pastor? Do I disagree with that? Absolutely, I disagree with it. Because I don't think the New Testament speaks of an office of pastor anywhere. I'm a biblicist. And, and, and so if you ask the typical Southern Baptist, okay, what is the office of pastor? He would say, well, that's a position of authority where you rule over God's people. You are their spiritual authority, and you rule over them. And all i got to do is go to Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus called his disciples around, and he said this, listen, when the Gentiles give titles of status and put people in positions of authority, their rulers lord over people. They subject people to their authority. And he said, it shall not be this way among you. Everyone in my kingdom who leads must be a servant. And so here's the thing. I disagree with it because I believe pastor means servant, not a position of authority. If I believe that, I don't believe any man should be a pastor, uh, much less a woman. Uh, so here's the, here's the question for me. What is a pastor? And I think a pastor is a gifted person of humble character, regardless of gender, who shepherds others as called by God, gifted 
by Christ, led by the Spirit, and called by the local church. It is not a position of authority. Now, my Southern Baptist friends would come back to me and say, well, Wade, you're not a Southern Baptist then, because you're disagreeing with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And here's my response. Guys, I know history. I write history books. Do you realize pastors in the 1850s and 1860s were talking about how Southern Baptists had the right, listen to this now, the biblical right to own, trade, and purchase slaves. Southern Baptists changed their minds on that because we're people of the book. And we believe today the Bible does not teach that. And it was a misinterpretation of Southern Baptists in the 1850s and 1860s. I believe today Southern Baptists are misinterpreting what a pastor is. So when Hosanna Wong is going to come and exalt Christ using the gift that God has given to her, I'm saying, what's the big deal about that? That is exactly what Scripture calls us to, to do. Shared ministry based upon our gifts. Hmm. Well, that is a huge argument in and of itself, and probably one that would deserve an entire program if I were to do it. But let me let me just say, okay, let's assume that I am a Southern Baptist and I'm in agreement with the Southern Baptist position on women in ministry. Um, do you still think that someone should be, I mean, she is coming not as, as preaching. She is coming to do spoken word. Mm. Do you, do you think that, uh, that someone who, who is in line with, and, and I'm guessing, I don't know David Uth. You do. Mm. I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. would he be in agreement with the Southern Baptist position on women and women serving as pastors? I think he probably would. Okay. But I think what he would say is uh, churches are autonomous. In other words, this church in San Diego uh, has called Hosanna Wong as a teaching pastor, and all she's coming to do is perform a spoken word. He had her in his church and was not bothered by it. He was duly elected by the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention as president of the Pastors' Conference, and this woman who blessed the people of his church, he invited her to come to the Pastors' Conference. I believe he should have the right to do that. He was elected. But the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention did go behind closed doors, came out and said, you'll change the program, or we're not going to let you use the venue. So the question is, I believe, and other people have said this to me, wait, wait a minute, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? The BFNM says that a woman shall not be a pastor, and she identifies as a teaching pastor, and she's coming in to speak to us at the SBC. <laughs> I'm like, guys, come on, are you kidding me? Did you know that the BFNM 2000 teaches closed communion, meaning every Southern Baptist church who has the Lord's Supper must dismiss every person in the room who is not a member of that Southern Baptist church and then serve the Lord's Supper? Do you know how many churches do that? Less than 40%. So are you going to disqualify over 60% of SBC churches because they do not abide by the BFNM 2000? Of course you're not. Why are we selective on this? Uh, there are Southern Baptists who disagree with you on this issue of the definition of pastor and of women ministering according to their gifts. 
for you to go behind closed doors and tell the duly elected president he cannot do that. That, in my opinion, is not only an abuse of power, it's a violation of Baptistic principles. So you're saying if they're going to object to things and they're going to be uh, strict about what doctrine is and what the practices are that are accepted, they need to be consistent across the board. Why do you think that this particular issue, again, of a woman speaking, doing spoken word, has gotten the reaction it has? Because I think the Southern Baptist Convention is infected with this horrible venom of viewing women as followers, uh, weak uh, people who should submit to men who are leaders, who are strong, who have authority. Um, way back, I mean, again, I'm a historian, mm-hmm. way back, a doctrine called the eternal subordination of the sun was ruled as heresy. And there are a lot of leaders in evangelical churches today who hold to the eternal subordination of the Son, which basically says this, Jesus Christ is eternally subordinate to God the Father. Therefore, you women are eternally subordinate to men. It's the e, uh, the eternal subordination of the Son, EFS for short. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that is unbiblical. It is not the teaching of the New Testament, and the reason this is a big issue in the SBC is because a lot of men think they've got big muscles, and women should be silent, go home, not be heard, not lead, be in the background. And I'm saying, guys, stop it. We did that in the 1850s and 1860s on slavery. We're doing it today in 2020 on the issue of women. We missed it in terms of the scripture in the 1850s and 1860s, and you are missing it today. By the way, Julie, mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. Uh, one thing. Here's the, I mean... <sighs> I can articulate every argument on my position. I can go to 1 Timothy 2. I can go to 1 Corinthians 14. I can talk about all of the places that people would object from Scripture, and I've got an answer. But here's, here's what I want to be heard. I'm humble enough to believe that I could be wrong on my view of women, mm-hmm. but I'm also smart enough to know that you could be wrong. And so all I'm asking is this. Let's cooperate around the basics of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and our common goal is spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, under Paige Patterson, in the year 2000, this issue of women was taken from a tertiary issue where we could all fellowship on around the common things, even though we disagreed, and it was bumped up to a secondary issue, meaning it became a point of division in the SBC. And it's, it's interesting, back in 1998, I mean, I'm giving away my age, I'm older now, but back in 1998, I was writing on this issue. Mm. That's 22 years ago, before the BFNM 2000. So when I heard you say in the introduction, and by the way, I think you're brilliant, because you, you did in 30 seconds what people, you know, take a lifetime to understand. But, uh, back in 1998, I was opposing this idea that women submit and men lead, uh, in letters that I was writing publicly, published in the state papers. Mm. So I've stayed consistent. I'm a Southern Baptist, and I've never accepted this doctrine that women are to be subordinate to men, because I don't believe it's biblical, I don't believe it's New Testament, and I don't think it follows the teachings of Jesus Christ. Wow, I could 
engage with you for so long on this. I, I actually come at it a little bit differently because uh, I'm in the Anglican church and have sort of a sacramental view of it. I do think there's differences between men and women. I think there's differences in roles. I don't approach it the same way. I mean, to me, there is a Trinitarian symbolism between the one flesh union of man and woman when they come together. And if we're supposed to reflect God's image and God is, you know, one, and we see that again in, in man and woman coming together together in marriage, it's, it's I, when I think of the hierarchy of the Trinity, whether there's hierarchy or not, when I think of the Godhead, that's not the first thing I think of. I do think of this beautiful, um, life-giving, mutually honoring, loving, self-giving kind of love. And, uh, and that's what I, I think we're, we've missed it. We've made it all about um, hierarchy. And, and whether right. you agree with the hierarchy, I, I actually think there is some sort of hierarchy in there, uh, how that plays out in the church. Um, is debatable and what it should look like. But I do wonder sometimes when I see the amount of effort that's put into this one issue, if something else is driving it. And, and, it, and when you, you know, take it right back to the garden, it, just this um, really man ruling over woman is one of the, the consequences mm-hmm. of the fall. Um, that your desire will be for the man and he will rule over you. I mean, it, it does um, it does grieve me. And it grieves me when, um, you know, I see someone like Hosanna Wong. Do we have differences? Yeah. Well, we might. We might have differences about whether she could be a pastor. Right. Do I think she could do spoken word? Yeah, right. um, absolutely I do. Right. And and I see this backlash. And uh, it, it does cause me to, to wonder a little bit. And I, I need to say, though, that there there's a recent development on this. So what happened is, the executive committee, and I want to talk to you a bit, little bit about how that operated, because I think the, the power and the abuse and use of power is a big issue. Um, whether they abused it or not, you know, um, give them benefit of the doubt there. But um, there is a development because they have basically said uh, they decided this on Tuesday, February 18th. They said you have until a deadline of February 24th. They gave to David Uth, who's the president of this pastor's conference, Till then to decide whether he's basically going to change the program or if he doesn't change it, then they're again going to pull, pull the space and they can't, they're not going to support anymore or pay for them being in the Orange County Convention Center. Now, just Mm. before we went on this podcast, I actually heard from um, the SBC executive committee spokesman. He said, uh, there's been a statement and sure enough, David, Uth uh, had sent me a statement saying that basically he went back to uh, the executive committee and said, listen, I, I can't do this by February 24th. You need to give me some time. And so it sounds like there were separate phone calls, according to the statement, between J.D. Greer, pr- uh, president of the SBC, Ronnie Floyd, uh, executive committee, uh, CEO Mike Stone. So a lot of phone calls going on. And basically what he said is, I want a 40-day season of prayer and fasting so that we can decide this issue. So there's kind of been an ultimatum given by the executive committee, and now uh, Pastor David Uth is saying, okay, give me some time so I can decide this. Let's let's look at what happened. So you're saying they, they met in sort of a, a closed-door, uh, secretive way, although there was. I mean, the, the Baptist Press did come out with an article talking about some of these, uh, the two issues that we talked about, one with the pastor's conference changing the program, the other with the ERLC. And I do want to get to to that in this whole 
uh, assessment investigation, you called it, um, with them. But did they meet in a in a secret session? Uh, where did you get that information? You know what? Give give us some. You're you're an insider. I know you have inside information. Mm-hmm. So, what did you see? What have you heard actually happened at the executive committee that uh, that met earlier this week? Mm. Um, first of all, Julie, I'll I'll answer that. Let me just say I really respect your Anglican tradition. And I receive what you've said, uh, a little difference of opinion uh, between you and myself on this issue, but I, I deeply respect where you're coming from. And interestingly enough, a lot of our leaders in the SBC would have a Presbyterian ecclesiology hmm. and an Anglican ecclesiology. All of my family coming to the United States were Anglican. Hmm. The, I'm not trying to convince anybody I'm right. What I'm saying is in the SBC, there's room enough for two different views. Don't make it uh, a a secondary tier doctrinal issue, but thank you for articulating that. Now, back to the executive committee uh, and and their meeting. Albert McClellan, Dr. McClellan, for years, way back, way back, even before and during and after World War II, he was the chairman of the executive committee. He, He was the executive director of the Southern Baptist Convention, who basically has the committee that holds him accountable, but he kind of leads that committee. One time in the history of his tenure, they went behind closed doors. One time. And that was because it was a personnel issue that they'd deal with. Everything was done in the open. Uh, I believe that Christians should do everything they do in the light of full transparency, meaning everyone observes and everyone watches. Uh, and I don't like Baptists going behind closed doors. I'm familiar with that tactic, and typically what is done is you go behind closed doors because you want uh, to develop a narrative in secret so that you can come out and say publicly, something that you can all be uniform, but you got to work it out behind closed doors. Mm. Well, why don't you just work it out in the public? Mm-hmm. That way people will call you on the things that you're trying to create in terms of a narrative that may not be close to the truth. So it is, you are correct. That's what happened. Last Tuesday, they went behind closed doors. They came out, then they made a phone call and said, look, David Uth, even though you've been elected, duly elected by messengers, or, or excuse me, by people who've come to the pastor's conference as messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention, we're telling you, you cannot have Hosanna Wong speak. You cannot have David Hughes speak. David Hughes uh, is pastor of uh, Church by the Glades, large church, contemporary church, gives a lot of money to cooperative program, has baptized a lot of people, does some unorthodox contemporary things that the SBC doesn't like. And they told David he couldn't have... Uh, they told David Ruth he couldn't have David Hughes come, and he couldn't have Hosanna Wong come. Well, to me, that is just ridiculous. The executive committee crossed the line. They don't have that authority. It's interesting, Julie, during the sexual abuse scandal, mm-hmm. if you read the Houston Chronicle article mm-hmm. way back, um, I had a tap on my shoulder uh, from a reporter, Robert Downing. They'll probably win the Pulitzer. He said, are you Wade Burleson? I said, I am. He said, can I hang out with you? Well, in 2007... I'd warned the convention that we've got a sexual predator problem within the convention, and I wanted to track sexual predators who were either um, credibly accused or charged or convicted of sexual abuse. Put them in a database so we can know where they go. Well, the motion was denied by the executive committee. Well, 
fast forward 12 years, Robert Dallin pats me on the shoulder. The Houston Chronicle begins to do what we should have done in 2007. They track the predators and it blows up as it blows up. It's a, it's an incredible abuse on, on scale of the Roman Catholic sexual abuse problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my point is this, the executive committee is the committee that ultimately holds responsibility for the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. However, they've always argued churches are autonomous. Agencies are autonomous. What that means is they have their own trustee boards. They have their own leadership and governance. And, and we don't tell people and churches what they should do, what they ought to do, and so on, because we're not over them. So they denied my motion to track sexual predators because they said we can't tell churches what to do. And now they just come out and they tell David Ooth that he can't have a woman's feet. Where's the consistency? Why, why can't we tell churches that you can't hire a pastor who's been convicted of sexual predatory behavior? Why can we not tell them that? But then we can tell David Ooth, who's pastor of his own church, who's had a woman come and do the spoken word, that he can't have that woman speak at the pastor's conference. It just makes absolutely no sense, and I do believe it is an abuse of power. Yeah, and there's some other things going on in the Baptist Southern Baptist Church about whether there's autonomy or not autonomy. There's a lawsuit right now involving Will McCraney, and I know there's a whole issue there, whether uh, the North American Mission Board and whether or not they exerted some, some influence there. Again, McCraney saying, well, we should have been autonomous, and were they autonomous? I mean, that, that is a whole issue right now, and we're seeing the SBC in some cases— allowing autonomy of these churches, but you're right. In some cases, they don't allow autonomy. And well, here's the thing, Julie, if I were an attorney, and I'm friends with a bunch of attorneys, if I were an attorney and I had a case where the, the defense was we're autonomous, mm -hmm. the defense of the SBC was you can't sue us, we're autonomous, mm -hmm. for heaven's sake, what happened last Tuesday, mm -hmm. uh, I would get every single document related to it because they just proved connectionalism. Mm hmm. And exactly. So what you're saying, and I've heard this, that this could be just a huge can of worms that they're opening, because once they don't act and allow the churches to be autonomous, now are they Correct. responsible for all these sex abuse cases that happen Correct. within the Southern Baptist Convention? And that Correct. that could be an absolutely massive story. And we'll just massive. have to see and, and continue to track that. But again, you're saying that, that this is an abuse of the SBC's power, one, meeting behind closed doors, not being transparent, um, right. but two, uh, just uh, exerting control over the pastor's conference, which is a separate a separate thing. And, and David Uth was elected as the president of the pastor's conference, duly Correct. elected by uh, other pastors. So, right. I mean, that that's a big issue. I do want to mention, though, since you brought up one of the speakers is David Hughes, legitimately, I mean, I got to say, I read a little bit about this guy and red flags definitely went up for me. I mean, the senior pastor of church by the glades in Coral Springs, Florida, uh, the church, uh, has featured, uh, worship leaders doing covers of songs by Katy Perry, Beyonce, Britney Spears. They did a, about four years ago, a stormtrooper dance. This is according to, a a blog known as the Midwestern Baptist by Gabriel Hughes I'm reading from. But four years ago, they did a stormtrooper dance with people on stage dressed as Star Wars characters doing what he says, crotch thrust to don't stop till you get enough by Michael Jackson. 
Um, there's an image recently on David Hughes Instagram a, uh, account where they have invitations to the church and it's at the top it says Victoria's Secret instead of Victoria's Secret kind of a play on that and then you have you know just a picture of a woman's eyes kind of very similar to Victoria's Secret there's a picture of David Hughes sitting on a replica of the Iron Throne from the HBO show Game of Thrones. That was, I guess, a, a gimmick thrown into a, a sermon series. I mean, there's several things about this church. I have to say, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, man, that is the last guy I would want to see speaking at a <laughs> pastor's conference. I mean, that's my personal opinion on it. Of course, so I can Julie. see why people would be upset and of might course, say Julie. something. So, I can too. I can too. The problem is you've got David Ooth, who's a friend of David Hughes, and David Ooth knows what's going on behind the scenes. And if you were to know the stories of the prostitutes who have come out of prostitution because they've come to Jesus through contact with Church by the Glades, and they are now serving Christ. In other words, Jesus said, become all things to all people in order to win some. They're reaching people where they are. Now, would I do that in Enid, Oklahoma? No. My, my point is this. Be very careful before you judge somebody. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, Beelzebub, because he hung around Zacchaeus, and he hung around the prostitute, and so on. I would just say be very careful about condemning methodology, but I do understand, Julie, what you're saying. I understand why people are upset. What I'm saying is in the kingdom of Christ, Christ has a way of taking care of this body in a better manner than we can. Now, the ERLC Here's what's interesting, Julie. Well, let me just let me just say something about that before we go to the ERLC. <laughs> yeah. I will just say, I do think the means is, is is as important as the message, and the means is a message, and we are paying for it in the church right now by adopting so many of the world systems and the world's ways. And and I have to agree with this guy. I don't agree with everything he writes in this blog, but I do agree when he says, "How can we consistently confront such wicked depravity?" And he's talking about the sex abuse scandal and then effectively encourage hurting victims when the SBC is, is doing things, you know, doing things like this yeah, and sending good, mixed messages. Julie, do I have like, can you give me 60 seconds to tell you an incredible story? 60 seconds? Well, an incredible story of someone coming to Christ through this church. Is that what you're saying? Um, through my church. Oh, through your church. Absolutely. Yeah. Or that church. Go ahead. You have 60 yeah, seconds. <laughs> we, 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 turned, we turned the lights down. Mm-hmm. We have contemporary songs that are sung mm-hmm. with light and smoke and haze. And a woman came to our church who had just gotten out of prison in Dallas. Uh, she'd come to Enid to pick up her two-year-old boy that she had while in prison. She didn't know who the father was. And her parents wouldn't give her her toddler un- until she changed her life. So she called a friend of hers who had prostituted uh, with uh, her in Dallas, who was from Enid, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I've got to change my life. How do I do it? Go to this church that doesn't feel like a church. It's named Emmanuel. She comes to this church, lights her down. She says, I've never been to church before, sit at the top. And the music starts, and I think, whoa, is this a church? It's not what I thought a church would be. She said, I really like it. Then you came out. She didn't know what to call it. She said, you talked. And I, I teach verse by verse. I was going through Luke where Jesus met a prostitute and the Pharisees wanted to stone her. And she said to me, her name is Tammy. Mm-hmm. She said, you said, if you're here and you're a prostitute, I want you to know something. The people sitting around you love you. No matter how many years you've been in it, we love you like Jesus loves you. Jesus stopped the religious people from stoning her. 
and we are not stoning you. Come to Jesus. She said, I burst out bawling. People heard me crying. They came over and leaned around me, and, and they said, are you okay? She said, wait. She was telling my wife and me this. I gave my life to Christ that day. Tammy now leads our Celebrate Recovery program. My point is simply this. I cannot tell you the opposition I had when we started a third service, turning the lights down, having lights, contemporary music. Some of the traditional people said, why? This is crazy. This is the world's way. And all I do is say, look at Tammy. So that's my story. Well, I, you know, we can debate methodology, and I don't have a problem with right. contemporary music. I don't care if you have the lights on or low or whatever. I just think we need to win people with the gospel, and we'll win them to what we're presenting. Oh. And so uh, let's, let's put Jesus first in our churches. Amen. And if people are hungry for Jesus, they'll come. So, uh, okay, so let's, let's go to the executive committee. And I do just want to say, you're accusing them of meeting in secret. Um, I know I, I, I talked to the spokesman for the executive committee. They're saying, you know, I mean, they met and the Southern Baptist press reported on it. It wasn't secretive. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, of course, I'd say then if it's not secretive, why go behind closed doors? Have no executive sessions. Stay out in public. Albert McClellan, for 35 years, had one secret session. Okay, fine. Do it. Stay open. That's what I would say. Second, Mm -hmm. the ERLC. Yeah. And Julie, I know this may bother. It's bothered a lot of people when they read my blog. I voted for Trump. I'll probably vote for him again. Every precinct in Oklahoma voted for Donald Trump. I am really bothered by the executive committee coming out, basically launching an investigation against Russell Moore and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I don't like everything Donald Trump has done. And Russell Moore spoke out against Donald Trump and some of the things that he has done. And Donald Trump tweeted and basically slammed Russell Moore. The SBC is very pro-Trump. I voted for Trump. I have the right to say this. You better stay hands off for anybody who has the courage to speak truth to power. Hmm. Don't you be telling Russell Moore he can't do that. Um, We have got to have courageous people willing to confront the president. And so the executive committee went behind closed doors. And they formed an investigative committee to investigate the ERLC. I'm telling you, Julie, right now, they want Russell Moore's job. They want him gone. And I will fight tooth and toenail like I fight for women for Russell Moore to keep his job. And I voted for Trump because I believe they crossed the boundary. The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission has a group of trustees that hold Russell Moore accountable. And the executive committee's responsibility is not to do what the trustees of the ERLC are called to do. We are autonomous. And I, I know that, but the, the executive committee has again crossed the boundary and they've moved into connectionalism and they're now telling what the, the ERLC and the trustees there, what they should do. They're launching an investigation. The trustees of the ERLC are the only ones who can do that, not the executive committee. You used a word, I think the second time you've used it, connectionalism. For someone yeah. who hasn't heard that, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, you bet, Julie. Uh, and you're a smart gal. Uh, in fact, I just want to say to people, um, you're Anglican. I did not know that. Uh, I grew I've, up I've as Anabaptist, you. so I... I, I, ah! <laughs> I oh, man, we could talk. 
<laughs> oh, I, I'm an Anabaptist historian, and all my family's Anglican. I can uh, okay. Here's so I can go back. I can go back to the late 1700s. My cool. My ancestors coming actually from Switzerland. So I have an Anabaptist background. I'm Anglican now, which means I love my church and I'm going to it. I've been in so many different kinds of churches. I don't sure think do. any of them have it have a corner on the I truth. Agree. I think I, I think there's an awful lot of truth in each one of them. And this side of heaven, we're really not going to know the right way on every single one of these debatable doctrinal issues on salvation. Amen. Absolutely. And some of Amen. these other things. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so, but go ahead. You were saying, well, some, of our best friends, some of our best friends are Anglicans and my great, great grandfather. Mm-hmm. He's my hero. He was an Anglican missionary to the Mississippi Valley. Hmm. Great friends on his board was Francis Scott key star spangled banner. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, Chase, Chase Manhattan Bake, the original, Salmon Chase, on his board. So all that. Here's the deal. Connectionalism means simply this. In the Anglican Church, uh, the Episcopalian Church in America, there is connectionalism. In the Presbyterian Church, there is connectionalism. And this is what that means. You have an authority at the top, and then you have sub-authorities, regional bishops. Then you have lesser authorities, mm-hmm. bishops in the churches, mm-hmm. and then down to the lay people. Okay, Baptists are not connectional. The highest authority within the Anabaptist movement and the Baptist movement is the local congregation, the church, and everything flows from the local congregation. So when the executive committee acts as if they're the highest authority of the SBC, Okay, that's when I get my my feathers ruffled, and I, I come out and say, guys, stop it. If you want to be Anglican, be Anglican. If you want to be Presbyterian, be Presbyterian, but you're a Baptist. And every board has their own trustee system, and every church has their own governance. So I do believe in autonomy, mm-hmm. but don't be selective on how you use it. Yeah, well, and this... This resolution to review the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, I have a copy of the resolution that they passed, um, and, and I did talk again to the spokesman for the executive committee. He wanted to stress, he said, this is not an investigation. He said, and I'll read it, it says that a task force be created consisting of the now serving, and they, they say who's going to be on it, but then it says that the task force review and review the past and present activities of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in fulfillment of its convention-approved ministry assignments and that the task force assess whether the actions of the commission and its leadership are affecting cooperative program uh, giving or the further advancement of the cooperative program. So he's saying it's not an investigation. They're reviewing and they're assessing. And when it's saying cooperative program, uh, explain for those of us who aren't uh, Southern Baptists, exactly what yeah. what that's meaning. Oh, you bet, Julie. I'll give it to you in the 15-second summary. All right. The executive committee is saying that when Russell Moore speaks out about Donald Trump against him, that giving to missions through Southern Baptist churches decreases because the average Southern Baptist supports Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, there will be an article written by a friend of mine that comes out on what's called SBC Voices Today, which is a blog, which will show that cooperative program giving actually has gone up every single year since Donald Trump was elected, even though Russell Moore has spoken out against him. That is 
that is a whitewash. That is a smokescreen. They want Russell Moore's head, and they're not going to get it. Two years ago, they tried to defund the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. They tried to defund it, the Southern Baptist Commission. It was overwhelmingly, by 75% to 80%, rejected. This is a backdoor way of saying we want Russell Moore gone. It's not going to happen. Well, you know the thing that bothers me? I mean, whether or not it's affecting cooperative program giving or not, is that really, is is that what we determine where we're going to speak? I mean, back when Wilberforce was speaking out against slavery, and and I'm not trying to, you know, we can debate. Donald Trump. And, you know, I, I actually support right. a lot of his, his policies. I'm right. not that thrilled with the man and the way he behaves. Right. But, um, but I mean, when Wilberforce was deciding whether to oppose slavery, was he putting his, you know, finger up and testing the wind and figuring out, oh, is this going to, is this going to help me politically? Is, is this going to like help me raise funds? I mean, that's what bothers me. I mean, as Christians, we're not supposed to base what we say or what we do on whether or not it's popular. We're She'll be joining the Southern Baptist Church, and I'm nominating you for the executive <laughs> committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Boom. <laughs> I don't think, I think my gender might be a problem there. Um, well, uh, they, no, they, they do have, by the way, women on the executive committee. Uh, but that's a fairly recent novel thing. They do have women on that. They just can't, listen to this now, speak truth in mixed company. Oh, come on. See, okay, that's where I'm, I, I'm just like that. Even if you take... First Timothy two, in that interpretation that women can't right. teach or preach, right. that they're going beyond it, and that's when I I kind of suspect that there's something more in play than the actual being true to Scripture. Then it, it it just that bothers me. That bothers me. Right. But but also determining whether or not we speak on something, whether or not we speak our conscience. And maybe this is my Anabaptist tradition because right. Anabaptists were one of the first to say. Amen. That Christians should follow their conscience, Amen. not the state, not even Amen. the church should not never impose. Yeah. Not even a creed. Follow your conscience. It, it, it's called soul competency or the priesthood of the believer, meaning you listen to Christ. So, Julie, I'm telling you, I'm convincing you to become a Southern Baptist. We need strong, <laughs> gifted women like you. And by the way, I noticed when you announced I was going to be on the podcast, a couple of people on Twitter said, oh, my word, he, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, it's interesting. James McDonald joined the Southern Baptist Convention yes, a did. long time ago. Mm. And I was the first one to write about his screwed up view of male authority over women. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I wish we could talk much longer, and I'm sure we could, but I need to wrap this up. But before I do, I just in closing, I would like you to just say, where do you, where do you think we go from here? What are what are some steps, not just for Southern Baptists, but for people listening who are concerned about just the church and the purity of the church and and proper power used in authority within the church? No. No, this is kind question. of a big, big, <laughs> big topic. Yeah, I, do, forty-five seconds. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you a ninety seconds. How's that? Thank you, uh, Julie. First of all, thank you for allowing me to come on. I appreciate what you and Neil are doing. You mm-hmm. have affected change in the kingdom of Christ mm-hmm. and in the Church of Jesus Christ. And if anybody has hung in there uh, through this podcast, listening to me. 
particularly, I would say to you, if you're a female, I want you to hear me carefully. Uh, you're part of the creation, the original creation, to have dominion. God has called you to be a leader. And I think one of the most dangerous things that has happened in the kingdom of Christ is that men have pushed women, gifted women, aside and said, you just follow and listen to us and be quiet. I'm saying where we go from here is this. You've got to learn who you are in Jesus Christ. You've got to be like Julie Royce. You've got to speak out. You've got to speak the truth. You've got to use your gift. You've got to lead. Don't depend on others. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust Christ. Understand your identity in Him and in no man. For in eternity, you'll have a new name, and there will be no marriage, and your entire identity will be around who you are by the grace of God, as he unfolds the riches of his grace to you. Understand that the kingdom of Christ is now and not yet. And as long as you understand it's now, you will begin to serve according to your gifts. If you've got the gift of teaching, teach. Got the gift of exhorting, exhort. Got the gift of prophesying, prophesy. I'm saying we, the kingdom, the body of Christ, we need you. And don't let anybody tell you who's in a position of authority or power over you that you cannot be what God has called you to be. Be like Julie Rice. That's yeah. what I would say. Well, be like Jesus. <laughs> Let's put the bar well, a little higher. But Jesus, you. but yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and what about with the power in the church? Well, see, the thing is, when you serve people according to your giftedness, the power comes from Christ. We have this treasure in clay jars, in broken vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of him and not us. Mm. Amen. Well, Wade, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Uh, I've enjoyed our conversation. It's been a freewheeling one, and uh, those are the best kind, so I appreciate it. Thank God you. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. If you'd like to find me online, just go to Julie Roy's, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. Hope you have a great day and God bless.